Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is the best of OutKick, the coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. We're moving close to the NFL wildcard weekend. I uh, want to let you know what we got lined up for the show today. In hour two, we'll be joined by Jeff Schwartz. He usually joins us on Tuesday, uh, but we will be joined by him on a Thursday instead this week. So we'll break down all of the NFL wildcard games and uh, try to put those into context for you. And then in the final hour of the show, he joins us every single third hour on Thursday. My guy Todd Furman will be waking up uh, early with us out in the desert in Las Vegas, and we will talk about all of the NFL uh, playoff picture from a gambling perspective with him and probably talk a little bit about the NBA as well as we come in towards the second half of the season and just kind of get you ready from a gambling perspective. And obviously, we'll also talk about Alabama and Georgia, which is going to be taking place on Monday in Atlanta. We'll be down there next week. So if you are listening to this right now and you are going to be in Atlanta for the Alabama and Georgia game, hopefully we'll be able to have a uh, meetup of sorts for people who listen to the radio show. We'll be doing it live from Radio Row there. I don't know a lot of the details yet. Hopefully we will soon. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Clay Travis. I always send out things like that. 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, we will be live doing the show Monday on the day of the game, and then we'll be up early the next morning after what will certainly be a very late night on Tuesday, getting you uh, ready for whatever the reaction is going to be there. Big news coming from Atlanta, and this is going to make things even wilder than it was already going to be down there. Reports are Donald Trump is going to be at the game in Atlanta. So I don't know exactly how that's going to work, given Donald Trump's criticisms of ESPN and Jamel Hill. Will they put him on air? Will they not put him on air? What might he say during the game if uh, if ESPN puts him on air? 
uh, with Kirk Herbstreet and uh, Chris Fowler there in the box. I mean, I this love is the a, poorly educated. Yeah, there you go. That is a uh, potentially really messy situation for ESPN on what is their biggest night of the year in terms of the number of people who actually watch uh, ESPN, given the fact that that game is on cable and not on traditional broadcast television. So there is uh, there is much to be broken down about that. And by the way, I've reached out to several people in the White House and said, hey, how about getting Trump on the show uh, as a part of coming down for Georgia and Alabama? And they are contemplating it inside the White House. Not saying that it's going to happen, but just that there are multiple high-level people in the Trump White House that have a official request from OutKick for Donald Trump to come on the show and talk about Georgia, Alabama, and sports in general. So, fingers crossed. Can you imagine how much fun that might be if uh, the President of the United States decided to swing by OutKick? So, we'll see uh, whether or not that might be possible. I think it would be really cool. But, regardless, we will be in Atlanta on Monday and Tuesday. And uh, as the college football season comes to a close on Monday, we've got another story that came out uh, yesterday uh, evening, and I think it's uh, one that is incredibly interesting given how desperate the NFL is for quarterbacks, and that is that after a lot of talk, we've been talking about this all season long, Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen both officially announced within about an hour of each other that they are leaving USC and UCLA respectively to go pro, and they immediately become the very top-end candidates to be the overall number one draft pick. Now, I think Sam Darnold's going to go number one overall to the Cleveland Browns, but Sam Darnold officially announced that he was leaving, and this is what he had to say. Hey, Trojan fans, this is Sam Darnold. After talking to my immediate family, very close friends, and many people who have helped me throughout my life, I have made the decision to declare for the 2018 NFL Draft. I've been blessed that my life has been full of memorable moments, and wonderful people. The people who have been involved in making me the man I am today have prepared me for the life and decisions that I have to make in the future. So that's Darnold officially announcing that he is leaving USC and he's going into the draft. And if you look at the top five right now in the NFL draft, or top six, I would say, you've got what four teams that I think are in the mix to draft a quarterback. Uh, the Browns, obviously, I think have to take a quarterback. And the Browns have the number one and the number four pick. So if they want to roll the dice a little bit, they potentially could trade out of that number one pick and say, okay, you know what, we love Josh Allen the most, or we love Baker Mayfield the most, but they have to take a quarterback in the first round, and I think it's probably likely they don't try to get fancy here, and they just take Sam Darnold number one overall. Now, whether or not Sam Darnold's going to be good, I think it's really hard to judge. I think it's incredibly hard to judge because it's such a mess when you look at the overall coaching that he got in year two, I think the USC offense was just kind of a mess. And so does that mean that Sam Darnold regressed in year two, or does it mean that the coaching was just so bad it's hard to judge him? Now, I will say this too. What would the the opinion be of Sam Darnold if he had gone to the most average college in America and had not gone to USC? Because I feel like for a lot of people, Sam Darnold exploded on the scene with his performance in the Rose Bowl last year against Penn State. What if Sam Darnold had gone to Illinois? What if Sam Darnold had gone to Arkansas? What if Sam Darnold had gone to Virginia? Would he still be the overall number one pick? I mean, I, 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 I know that the guy makes throws that are flat out incredible. 
But if he had gone to a school that isn't on television very much, that isn't in a major media market like L.A., that hadn't gotten the opportunity to be on the big stage, would he still be considered a presumptive overall number one pick? That would make That's what would make me a little bit nervous if I were the Cleveland Browns and I were going to take him number one overall. How much of Sam Darnold's overall attention has to do with him being in at and at, at USC in Los Angeles? I, I don't know the answer to that. If he goes to Arizona, are we talking about Sam Darnold as the overall number one draft pick? Interesting questions there. Second pick overall goes to the Giants. Uh, and then we've got the Colts, who you probably wouldn't think are going to draft a quarterback. If they do, it's an incredible indictment of the health of Andrew Luck. The Browns pick four again. The Broncos desperately need a quarterback. I still think, even though they got a bunch of guys at five, and then the Jets at six, you would think would certainly be in the quarterback market as well. So I think probably the first two that are going to go are Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen. It wouldn't stun me if Darnold goes one to the Browns and Rosen goes two to the Giants. And then we see what happens with Josh Allen from Wyoming, and then also Baker Mayfield from Oklahoma at some point in the first round. Now, there's also Lamar Jackson out there. I don't think that Drew Locke is going to go pro. He got a uh, a evaluation of a second or third round grade. I like Drew Locke a lot. Uh, Missouri's in the process of figuring out who their next offensive coordinator is going to be. And if Locke comes back... um, I think Missouri has the potential to be pretty damn good on the offensive side of the ball because Lott can make every throw, but uh, will he's going to have to decide here soon based on uh, several different factors whether or not to go pro himself and roll the dice on where he might get drafted. So that is the, uh, the overall picture right now at the uh, top of the NFL as we prepare for wild card weekend and get ready for the first four NFL playoff games. Now, there are uh, many things to uh, to break down. Going to go ahead and head into break. I'll bring in the crew. We'll discuss uh, the decision of of uh, Sam Darnold to go pro. We'll talk about Josh Rosen. Do you feel like the Browns absolutely positively have to take Sam Darnold? I think the answer probably is yes, because if they don't, having passed on all the quarterbacks who've been successful, you, know, you passed last year on Deshaun Watson. You passed the year before that on certainly Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, at some point you have to pull the trigger and actually go out and go get a guy at the top of the draft whether or not he's going to be successful. Hugh Jackson also has USC connections. So at this point in time, I would be stunned beyond belief if the Browns are not going to draft Sam Darnold number one overall. And that's at least a reason to be a little bit optimistic if you are a Cleveland Browns fan and you have managed to go one in 31 in the past 32 games, major props there to Jimmy Haslam and the extraordinary job he's done as an owner there. And that, of course, is sarcasm. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Uh, A bunch of stories out there that we opened with in Hour 1, but I I think maybe the uh, one that hasn't gotten any attention that I think is, is one of the most intriguing as we go into... Wild card weekend in the NFL. How about Steve Sarkeesian returning to the Coliseum to coach against the uh, the Rams in uh, in the wild card round of the playoffs? Steve Sarkeesian, last time he would have been in the Coliseum, obviously as the head football coach of USC, and now he's coming back out to LA after a tumultuous end to his tenure there at USC that saw him removed for 
substance abuse uh, issues, and uh, then he goes and works as an assistant for Nick Saban, gets promoted to offensive coordinator at Alabama, and then bails uh, before he ever coaches a game other than the national title game and takes over as the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons, and now he's coming back to L.A. in a big game to take on his uh, a team that didn't even exist in L.A. at the time that he was uh, last fired. That's a pretty uh, crazy storyline there. Um, also, obviously, the, uh, the decisions of Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen to come out, given the fact that the Browns-Giants, you would think the Broncos and the Jets in the top six are all in the mix to draft a quarterback. You would think that there's a good chance that Darnold and Rosen go number one and two overall. I really do think the Browns are going to take uh, Sam Darnold. I'd be very surprised if that doesn't happen. Uh, let me bring in the crew right now. We've also got Donald Trump headed down for the Alabama and Georgia game. Uh, but I want to start with this question, Jason Martin. Is there any doubt to you that the Browns absolutely have to take a quarterback number one and that if they are going to take a quarterback number one, given the fact that Josh Rosen hasn't exactly endorsed the idea of playing in Cleveland, that it's probably going to be Sam Darnold? Uh, I think they'll take a quarterback. I don't know. You know, I don't know whether or not they would take Rosen, even with what he said or not. You know, you're splitting hairs. I've been more of a Darnold guy, but pretty much every expert right now has Rosen ranked as higher than Darnold. He had they have him at number one. Um, but I do think they'll take one of those guys. John Dorsey actually came out this past week and said they were going to take Josh Allen number one, which means that probably will not happen. But I look at it and just say they'll take what they what they feel like they have to take at the end of the day. It's going to be a quarterback at one. Yes, it'll definitely be a quarterback at one. Number two is a little bit more intriguing with the Giants because I know when we have Jeff on at the end of hour two, he'll tell you Saquon Barkley, and a lot of people uh, will agree with Saquon Barkley. That's pretty high to take a running back. Uh, I guess if it you just take depends Saquon on what Barkley, Dave Gettleman thinks about uh, Manning long term. Yeah, that's the question. If you take Saquon Barkley number two overall, that's fine. I mean, the Giants haven't had a really high-end running back. God, since T- I mean, I, in, in all honesty, is Tiki Barber the last time that the Giants had a high-end running back to pair with Eli Manning? I mean, I know I they've mean, had Brandon guys. Jacobs, and they've had some guys that have done some work, but, I mean, Tiki would be the last one that really stood out. Yeah, and so if you think that Eli Manning still has a couple of years left and has a chance still to be good, and certainly I think, look, with the wide receiving core they have, if they come back healthy, they still need a lot of help on the offensive line. But if they had a guy like Saquon Barkley, I think Barkley is is going to do for – I mean, you look at what's happened this year with the Saints offense with the addition of Alvin Kamara, right? If you think about the difference that Saquon Barkley could make, I think he's every bit as good as Kamara – um, obviously, the Saints got Kamara, what, in the third round? I mean, a total steal because Butch Jones didn't use him enough at Tennessee. Um, but uh, but that would be a, a pretty intriguing play there. Guys in L.A., do you think who, – who would you say that the Browns are likely to take at number one overall now that we know that Rosen and that Sam Darnold are both leaving? I think it's going to be Sam Darnold. Would you take him number one overall? Or I, would you t- I would, yeah. I, th- I think that Josh Rosen's going to go second to the Giants – and I'm thinking Saquon Barkley's going to go to the Colts at three. If I'm the Browns, though, and this might sound kind of crazy, but maybe not to you, Clay, because you're always preaching that if you don't have a quarterback in the NFL, you're not relevant at all. Remember a few seasons back when the Browns loaded up on wide receivers? Pick after pick, it was wide receiver, wide receiver. If you're the Browns, why not do that with quarterbacks? 
with the first <laughs> why not? I mean one and four take two yeah, guys. I would. Oh, I mean, deal Deshaun Kaiser. He'd he'd be a great backup for another team. He's not your franchise quarterback. So imagine if you had Sam Darnold and Josh Allen or Baker Mayf whoever you want to go with as the second quarterback you choose, those two guys competing to be one and two. It is, that is a that is a bold proposition, but you know what? I mean, obviously we've seen teams take two quarterbacks in the same draft, and the easiest one to point to is RG three the year he went as the number two overall pick. The Browns, I mean the the the, the Redskins also took obviously Kirk Cousins, who ended up being the guy. And I have made this argument before. At that time, people are like, "Oh, you can't take two quarterbacks in the same draft." I said that's crazy. If you look at college. Look how often in college two top quarterbacks sign in the same recruiting class. And people say, well, why do they do that? And the answer is pretty easy because they don't know who's going to actually be good. Now, it would be counterintuitive. The Browns would get crushed. They'd be like, who are you going to give the overall number one reps to? How do you know? But if you took two quarterbacks in the first round, that is, I mean, that is unbelievable. Now, to me, if I'm a Browns fan, I'm sitting back and we got two picks in the top four. If you took Sam Darnold one, is it possible certainly that the uh, that the Giants will take Josh Rosen two or vice versa? Right, I think that Hugh uh, will, Hugh Jackson will end up taking Sam Darnold one because of his USC connections. I think he's going to fall in love with Darnold and what he can do. That's my best bet. Now, I do think Josh Rosen is less risky. I think he's a more traditional pro style quarterback. I think Darnold is more of a you know, kind of gunslinger in the, you know, Brett Favre mold. I think he's almost a, a clone of Andrew Luck, honestly, except, uh, you know, more of a risk taker even than Andrew Luck would be. But regardless, you know probably that quarterbacks are going to go one and two. The Colts, if I'm the Colts, I draft Saquon Barkley at number three overall. You know, you got an old aging running back, uh, the Colts do. And if you think that Andrew Luck is going to come back and be healthy, my God, how much better could the Colts' offense be if suddenly they had Saquon Barkley there as a running back for mm. uh, for Andrew Luck? It kind of takes you back to those days early in Peyton Manning's career when he had Marshall Falk as his running back, and then later in his career when he had Edger and James as his running back. Uh, the Colts, and I know look, people say, oh, running backs are a dime a dozen. I think Saquon Barkley is going to be is a can't-miss prospect. I think it can't miss, and I think if you look at what Kamara did this year, I think a lot of people are thinking, uh, you know, you're in the dome just like uh, Kamara is. You got a quarterback who's proven that's really good, uh, assuming he's healthy, just like the Saints did. And if I'm the Colts, that's the move that I make. But if the Colts went a different direction at three, can you imagine how excited Browns fans would be if they could draft a quarterback one? I think it's going to be Sam Darnold, and then in four. In the four spot, they got Saquon Barkley. But Danny G does raise an interesting question. At what point in time could NFL teams who desperately need a quarterback start to treat getting an NFL quarterback like colleges do? Colleges go out and sign. Look at what Georgia's got right now. In this uh, next year in spring practice, or this year in spring practice, come April, unless he tra- unless Jacob Eason transfers, Georgia's going to have three five-star quarterbacks in their on their team and people say why would you do that well Jacob Eason got injured early this year and then Jake Fromm takes over the team at Georgia and he's been unstoppable since 
true freshmen. People, a lot of people would have said, why would you ever bring in a new quarterback? You've already got Jacob Eason. He's going to be a first-round draft pick. He's everything that you would want in a pro-style passer. Well, maybe Fromm's better. Doesn't mean Jacob Eason's bad. Both those guys look like NFL quarterbacks right now. Maybe Fromm's just better. And now they're bringing in, I think it's Justin Fields is his name, the number one quarterback in America again. And they're going to have three five-star guys. It is a really intriguing question. Would you do that, Justin? Would you consider bringing in two quarterbacks if you're the Browns? If you're the Browns at this point, you've been ridiculed for so long for making bad decisions. I think that's a little bit crazy. But if you absolutely love two guys and you can't decide between them, the value if one of those guys hits. If one of those guys hits, nobody's going to care that you took two guys. Now, if both of them bust... And the reason that both bust is because you can't give them enough time. They don't get the confidence to develop as quarterbacks. Then I kind of understand. My my thought would be just take uh, Sam Darnold number one, give him three years, and if he doesn't pan out, look at the back of those jerseys in Cleveland. You're back at the top of the draft anyway, and you go back out and you get another quarterback. That would kind of be my thought. Now, if you were really bold, if you were really bold and you were you know confident that you liked several of these guys. I think it would be intriguing if the Browns said, screw it, we're going to take Saquon Barkley number one overall because we know the Colts might take him at three. We're going to take Saquon Barkley number one overall. We'll let the Giants have their pick. They can take whoever they want as the best quarterback. We feel pretty good that the Colts are not going to draft a quarterback at three and that maybe somebody would be willing to trade out with them, maybe not. But at four, we'll take whoever is left, and then we get Saquon Barkley at running back to pair with whoever the quarterback we find that makes the most sense. And then, you know what? I think you're in pretty decent shape. And by the way, this is assuming that Kirk Cousins not going to get signed by one of these. There's so many different angles to follow here, but uh, this, I think, becomes a, uh, a really intriguing top of the NFL draft board. Let me bring in my guy, Eddie Garcia, find out what's shaking in the world of sports. And on the flip side here, I'm going to ask everybody, would you bring Trump into the booth if you are ESPN to interview him? Do you have to do that? Is that kind of the standard that everybody follows when the president goes to a big sporting event? What's up, Eddie? Well, we'll start in the NBA where the uh, big game was in Boston, a battle of two of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. The Celtics knock off the Cavaliers 102-88. to Kyrie Irving, 11 points and 9 rebounds in the win for Boston. For Cleveland, Isaiah Thomas did not play in this game against his old team, still recovering from the hip injury, and they don't want to play him in back-to-back games, at least for now, and they played the night before. Warriors over the Mavericks, 125-122. Steph Curry had a three-pointer with three seconds left to get the help the uh, Warriors get the win. He finished with 32 points. Rockets played their first game without superstar James Harden. He's out six to eight weeks with a hamstring injury. They win without him over the Magic in Orlando, 116-298. As you mentioned, Clay, college football, both UCLA quarterback Josh Rosen and USC quarterback Sam Donald both leaving school early to enter the NFL draft. They're both expected to be selected early in the first round. This report brought to you by True Car with True Car. You can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for, new or used. Visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Clay, you're talking about Donald Trump going to be at the national title game between Georgia and Alabama on Monday. Also, some more Trump sports news. We found out that the World Series champion Houston Astros have accepted his invitation to the White House to be honored for winning the title. Good for them. I mean, I've said this all along. I would go to the White House no matter who the president is because uh, that's how you respect the country. Uh, Coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios. Easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. 
What do you do if you are ESPN and Trump is reportedly going to be at the all-SEC national title game between Georgia and Alabama? Do you bring him into the booth? Here's the challenge. Trump has ripped ESPN for becoming a left-leaning network. Jamel Hill called him a white supremacist. The network did not suspend her for saying that. Would, would Trump go on ESPN during the game? I mean, this to me is a, uh, this to me is a mushroom cloud uh, of a decision here because usually I, I can't think of a time when a sitting president has gone to a major sporting event and not gone on the air. Not this year, but last year I was at Army-Navy in Baltimore and Trump came as the president-elect and went and sat in the booth with Gary Danielson and with Vern Lundquist and got interviewed during the Army-Navy game. But with Trump now reportedly going to be at the Georgia-Alabama game in Atlanta for the national title game, I can't think of a time when the president would be at a sporting event, be it Bill Clinton. I don't remember a ton, but I know Bill Clinton went to some sporting events. Uh, Certainly, George W. Bush went to many, uh, a lot of baseball games in particular. And I know Barack Obama went to a lot of different events over the years. And every time that I can remember them being there, they would come into the booth and do a little interview. I don't know if Trump would do it uh, because of what ESPN has said about him, uh, in particular some of the talent. I don't know if ESPN would want him to go on the air. I don't know what he might say uh, during the interview with Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler. And this is the signature event of the entire season for ESPN because it airs on cable, not on major uh, network television. What do you do here? Uh, again, we got an official request in to Donald Trump through the White House uh, Communications Office to come on our show uh, since he's going to be there for Georgia, Alabama, and since we'll be in Atlanta for that Monday, Tuesday. I, my answer is easy. We'll always have people on this show, right? I mean, it doesn't matter who it is. Uh, I've said this before a long time. If Colin Kaepernick wanted to do a sit-down, love to have him. If Michael Bennett wanted to do a sit-down, love to have him. If John Skipper, the fired ESPN president, wanted to come on and explain himself. Love to have him. If you listen to that Hugh Freeze interview yesterday, I will have anybody who has any opinion agree or disagree with me on this show because I'm a believer in the absolute, uh, absolutely in the First Amendment. So regardless of what argument you want to make, regardless of whether I agree or disagree with your own particular stances on a variety of issues, I will always welcome you onto this show. We have an open forum here. So that's an easy answer for somebody like me. But for ESPN, given how much drama there's been involved, given the fact that Donald Trump ripped them on Twitter, given the fact that one of their top talents called Donald Trump a white supremacist and they didn't even suspend her for it, what would you do? Jason Martin, what do you do if you're ESPN with Donald Trump in the building on Monday for Georgia-Alabama? It's a tough call because he's a loose cannon in a lot of respects, especially because he has certainly been vociferous about his disdain towards ESPN's shift to the left. He's also on Monday at 5 o'clock going to be doing this, I don't know, whatever this most dishonest and corrupt media awards of the year is. That's when he's announced that via By the Twitter way, that he's going to do that I don't, at 5. I don't know where he's going to do that, but I've also requested a role in that. I'd be happy to give the award for the most dishonest sports media because it certainly would have to go to everybody who covered Michael Bennett and tried to turn this guy into the NFL man of the year despite the fact that he's a lying, race-baiting fraud. And so I'd be very happy to pass out that award uh, about Michael Bennett lying about the minority police officers in Las Vegas. Um, 
and so I don't think I'll get that opportunity, but I'm just putting my name out there as, uh, as a good American. I'd be happy to be involved in that. But you're right. It's going on the same afternoon, a few hours before kickoff. Is he going to do that in Atlanta, or is he going to do it in the White House and then uh, and then hop on the plane and fly down? I don't know. By the way, this also is going to be a total cluster if you yep. are a Georgia and an Alabama fan trying to get into this game. We're talking about a ticket that's costing over $2,000 get-in price at the top row of the Georgia Dome. I mean, it's not going to be a, uh, a very affordable ticket. And so when the president comes to an event, there's a lot of stuff getting shut down, a lot of roads getting shut down, you know, the way that he comes in. I'll tell you as an example, when he came in to do the, uh, the interview with the guys uh, during the Army-Navy game, I mean, that, that stadium gets into lockdown. So I would imagine that it's going to add some complexities to uh, what was already going to be a, uh, a massive, you know, wild mess of a game. Uh, for Georgia and Alabama, not to mention there's just going to be so many people surrounding this stadium, I think, and surrounding the city of Atlanta who can't get in but are huge Georgia Bulldog fans in particular that just want to be as close to that venue as possible. I think there's going to be hundreds of thousands, my, my belief, I think there will be hundreds of thousands of Georgia fans that roll into Atlanta and are just kind of milling about in the event that they might be able to get a ticket. And, and I think a lot of those people will also be Alabama fans. But Georgia in particular, because this is the biggest game in two generations, basically, if you're a Georgia Bulldog fan, I think, uh, I think that is going to be a, uh, a ticket that so many people are desperate to get. And because so many people can just easily drive to this venue, um, I think a lot of people are just going to show up. I mean, I think, again, we're going to be down there doing our show, but I think it's just going to be Woodstock meets the SEC in, in downtown Atlanta. I think it's going to be a zoo. It's definitely going to be a zoo, and now you add the president to that, which means you're going to add a lot of security measures, which means people are going to need to get there even earlier maybe than they expected because it's probably going to take a lot more time to actually get to your seat than it would have beforehand. But if you're ESPN, I mean, if he wants to do it, it seems like you would kind of have to do it. I think I remember when Obama did the first four as part of the NCAA tournament, They, I don't think they talked to him unless I missed it because he was in his seat pretty much the entire time and it was near the court. But I don't recall him actually joining the broadcast that night. But in general, if he's there and he wants to do it, it would be tough because if you don't do it, you're going to get killed. And ESPN knows how they're perceived right they're now. Gonna and get if that's something even, they care yeah. about. They're gonna, they're, you know, everybody's gonna come out and say, "Well, you didn't put him on because he's Donald Trump and because he's on the right and because you're on the left." So it's kind of a no-win situation get for ESPN. Yeah, totally agree. Because if they put him on, then all the people who hate Donald Trump are gonna be like, "I can't believe you're giving this guy a forum to come on and talk to whatever it is, 25 million plus people." And if you don't put him on, all the people are gonna say. This guy's the president of the United States, and he's in the building, and you don't give him an opportunity to come on. Now, the easiest thing that could happen for ESPN would be Donald Trump just comes out and says, "I because ESPN has been so dishonest and, uh, uh, and, and, and not treated me fairly, I refuse to go on their airwaves. That would help them out. It would be a storyline, but it would actually help them out. If Trump's willing to go on and talk to Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler during the game, and certainly Herbstreet and Fowler haven't said anything about, I don't remember certainly about Donald Trump or criticized him or gotten overtly political. I just think it it, it opens up a, a huge mess for ESPN and 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 frankly just adds an added layer of drama to this game overall. What about you guys so, in LA? Wait, one what thing, you- one thing, one thing. Based on what you were just saying, I think the savvy play for Trump then is to agree to do it. 
Oh, like cert- I think that I mean then, he's got to put the onus yes. on ESPN as opposed to the opposite. Well, it also makes him look big. You know, like it makes him look bigger than to be petty. If he says, I refuse to go on, then, you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, like he can take a shot at ESPN. But if he's willing to go on, even though they have been unfair to him, imagine if he goes on and he rips them on air. Like that's the play that would be amazing, right? If you're Donald Trump and you're like, they've been taking it, you know, some of their employees have taken shots at me. If, uh, if he goes in the booth and he's like, wow, guys, I appreciate you having me on given how unfair and biased your coverage of, uh, of my uh, administration has been. Like, uh, I, I, you know, I mean, that would be like just a bombshell for ESPN. I mean, he could go on and totally the, the story could end up being and what could be an ugly game. The story could end up being, whoa, did you hear what Trump said during the uh, during the national title game? Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. We bring in my guy, Todd Furman. Todd, you a car guy? I mean, I've been in your car a bunch of different times. I've never thought like Furman's a car guy. Like the most surprising thing about you is that you're a Jewish guy who lives in Las Vegas and loves country music. That's the thing that's the most surprising about you. Well, you can you can add the layer of uh, me loving NASCAR, having covered it for Fox over the last yeah, couple of seasons. But- but I'm not NASCAR, a, a gearhead a by any stretch of the imagination. I get a car, I can drive yeah. it around, I put gas in the thing, uh, and I make sure that it runs the way it's supposed to. But I won't ever be one of the guys out there on his driveway trying to work on a classic car, muscle car. That's definitely not my style. Yeah, so I don't know how to do anything on my car. Like, I don't know how to fix anything. I'm just not that interested in it in general. But, like, when I've been in your car, some guys are car guys, right? Like, my, I said this yesterday on the show. My entire family, because I married my wife, you know, is from Michigan. Her brother designs cars for Ford and has worked there his entire life. Her dad is an engineer who has helped build car factories uh, all over, the, uh, frankly, the world uh, for, for different car manufacturers. And so, like, he's all in on cars. And when they talk about cars, I've never felt like I should just take my penis and my, ball, and my balls and just hand them away ever in any conversation <laughs> before like this. Because uh, when they're like, what kind of cars do you like? I'm like, uh, you know, like an SUV or a truck. You know, like, what do you think about this, uh, this engine? I don't know anything about this engine. What do you think about these tires? I don't know anything about the tires. What do you think about these rims? Uh, nothing. Like, literally nothing when it comes to the car. And I've never felt like less of a man than when other men talk about cars. And I feel like the guy who shows up at the Super Bowl party and doesn't even know like how many yards you need to get for a first down, that's the knowledge that I have for cars. Where do your boys fall on all that? I mean, have they taken on some of uh, their grandparents' know-how and some of your wife's side of the family for love of uh, all things automobile? Yeah, not so. I mean, like they love – it's a good question. You know, they were obsessed with the movie cars, like my youngest one and my second oldest were obsessed with the movie cars, but they don't seem to really care that much about like what car they ride in or anything. Like they're not that old. I was saying earlier in the show, they're into they're obsessed now with football. So my two oldest are. So we got Madden for the house, which is a big deal for Christmas. They got Madden twenty eighteen. And uh, I just I was I was playing them. They were going back and forth with their controller. But my fourth grader's been doing a lot of trash talk, so I just beat his ass last night. Like just beat him, like and, and talk trash throughout the entire game. And he was so mad that he uh, threw the controller, and then he wasn't he wasn't happy with that. So he went and he picked up the controller, and he actually took the batteries out of the controller, which I don't even remember doing that when I was a kid. And I'd get mad and I would lose a video game. Uh, I don't think our controllers were advanced enough to need batteries, maybe. But that's different caliber level. What's your What's your verdict? You don't have kids, but what's your verdict on just beating a kid in a video game? Should I have let him win? 
I don't think you really should have let him win. I mean, you want to try and fire him up a little bit, make him push himself to try and be competitive. See, we definitely didn't have batteries. I mean, with the old-school 8-bit Nintendo entertainment system or anything along those lines. The big thing for us, we had some of our friends growing up back in Chicago that if you beat him in video games, you were going to get controller whipped. So that was uh, <laughs> discouraging enough that you might end up with a nasty bruise on your arm if you actually won. Whereas if you lost the game, sometimes you could go out of there with all your limbs intact. What was your game? My go-to game, I think the greatest sports video game ever made, and we could probably do like an entire show on this. Uh, maybe we will after football season when it gets into the winter and it's boring uh, with not a lot of ton of sports news. Uh, my all-time greatest video game is Tecmo Super Bowl. I think that there's never been a better game created than tech, the original Tecmo Bowl was great, and I like baseball stars. I like RBI baseball. I grew up obviously playing all those. Tecmo Super Bowl, greatest sports video game in my mind ever created. Tecmo Super Bowl is up there, but you had some great baseball games like was it SNK Baseball Stars, Little League World Series. Some of those games were tremendous. And then when you switch over to NHL, having been a hockey player myself, it was NHL 95. And I probably played more games of college football on, what was it, PS1 or PS2 back in the day uh, throughout my college tenure. You might have logged 100 games a semester at minimum uh, against other guys trying to figure out who could run the option, who was going to go out there and air it out. And there was nothing more demoralizing than when you put together a 19-play drive, picking up three yards of pop running the option because you were able to isolate a glitch <laughs> in the game. I'll tell you this. The worst thing about this whole de de debate about whether college players should get paid or not is that they stop making the NCAA football game. I don't know, like, is there anybody on the earth that thinks that that is a positive result? Of all the things that could have changed from the lawsuits challenging uh, amateurism and the way that guys uh, get scholarships and everything else in college sports, losing those games is like the worst result ever. Like, there's nobody, all the guys who are athletes, would you rather get like a, a $30 check once or have a video game where you're a player? I don't understand why they can't just agree. Like, is, is there anybody out there right now, I mean this honestly, who is a scholarship athlete at any school and doesn't wish that there was a sports game for college with their name on it? I don't understand why they can't just use the actual names and likenesses and let people sign off on it. And if you really care about your name and likeness being used on a video game and you don't want to do it, okay, you don't have to do it. But if I were 18 and you told me that the college that I signed for could have my name on the video game, I'd be like, that's the greatest thing ever. You know, I, I just don't get it. I think you may need to start leading the charge and trying to uh, really begin to get things back on the books. I mean, it was the O'Bannon family that was a big driver behind trying to get a piece of the pie that they felt was rightfully theirs. I couldn't remember if it was Ed or Charles. I mean, both actually work in and around Las Vegas, so next it's time Ed. you're out here, we can create that intro, bury the hatchet, and maybe go to EA Sports and convince them that we need to start making those college games again. It's Ed O'Bannon, and I've had him on the show before, and he's actually tying all these stories together. He's a car dealer. Like he, I think he's, I think he works at a car dealership in Las Vegas right now. That he it's, does. I believe he works for part of the Finley Automotive Group. He does some coaching out here uh, uh, of high school basketball. So see, it all comes full circle. And every now and again, your rant seemingly makes sense uh, for the listeners across the country. Clay. Everything in my mind connects. Everything. It's all one big, large connection in my head. All right. So you are in Vegas. Uh, there are wild card weekend games to be discussed Saturday and Sunday. Let's start in the AFC where these lines just keep climbing. The most recent I've seen is around nine, I think, in both these games. 
the uh, Jags hosting the Bills and the Titans going on the road against the Chiefs. Is there any value at all at this point with these lines approaching double digits to take the road underdogs, or do you think this thing's going to keep going higher? Yeah, you're right with both these numbers, both open 7.5 and, and out to 9 at betonline.ag right now. We can start with your beloved Titans to kick things off on Saturday. Uh, I think there is going to be an appetite for the underdog if this number were to get to 10, but the interesting part, and we talk about it all the time in regards to key numbers, if books open point spreads at 7.5, you have a lot of flexibility and latitude to go as high as 9.5, uh, before your underdog money starts to come in, unless you get back down to seven, and that kind of changes the dynamic a little bit. When we look at the Tennessee Titans, I think last weekend we started to get glimpses of what kind of element Marcus Mariota's legs bring to the offense. And you read the players' comments, uh, you get some of the reports through Wednesday practice. He seems to be healthier in that regard than he has maybe since he broke his leg at the end of the 2016 season. If that's the case, and Tennessee has another dimension to what they want to try and do on that side of the ball with DeMarco Murray getting Derrick Henry into the fold, I think this is a Titans team more than capable of going into Arrowhead, maybe not winning the game outright, but keeping the game well within the number. The Chiefs just don't do it for me defensively, and if you can run between the tackles, it's the most effective way to shorten the game. When we look at the AFC matchup, of course, the big storyline here, the health of LaShawn McCoy, was carted off the field early on in the game against Miami. I expect him to at least try and give it a go. How effective he'll be against the Jacksonville defense remains to be seen. This is a Jags run defense, 31st in the league before they acquired former Bill Marcel Darius, up to 21. If you can't run against them, forget throwing the football. So if Buffalo can't get LaShawn McCoy even at 60 to 65%, uh, things could snowball quickly, and I would lean towards the Jags. That being said, laying over a touchdown with Blake Bortles isn't something you want to try and make a habit of doing. What would the line have looked like if this, these games had happened, if we hadn't had the touchdown pass late by Andy Dalton to knock the Ravens out and also then change the matchups? So if the Ravens had been going on the road against the Chiefs and if the Titans had been going on the road against the Jaguars, what would those lines have looked like? Would they have been more competitive than approaching double-digit lines that we're seeing right now? They definitely would have, uh, depending on who you talk to. I mean, I power rate Kansas City about six points better than Baltimore. Some folks said they would make it a shade higher, others a shade lower, but most likely you would be talking about the Chiefs under a touchdown in that matchup. And given the level of familiarity between Jacksonville and Tennessee, uh, I think that number could have opened as low as six and a half, maybe even seven. Fascinating number to watch move back and forth week 17. Got as low as a Titans minus one at home against the Jags before you finally saw an appetite uh, to lay points with the Titans, ultimately with that number closing two, two and a half. All right, let's go to the NFC, which seems a lot more wide open, although these numbers are also becoming substantial. You've got the Panthers going on the road against the Saints, and then you've got our buddy Steve Sarkeesian going back out to the Coliseum uh, with uh, the team that he is now the offensive coordinator of, the Falcons going up against the Rams. What, what's the story in the NFC? Interesting. This is the first time that the Rams will host a playoff game in Los Angeles going all the way back to January 4th, 1986. Wow. So it's been a while since they've had professional football, meaningful variety, uh, during the month of January. Uh, I think it's a question here of how you try and value the Atlanta Falcons, who have all the experience in the world, having been to the NFC Championship uh, a season ago, thrived in that role before ultimately falling apart in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. And an offense, though, that hasn't clicked on all cylinders. Red zone efficiency down. Uh, the stats for Matt Ryan as far as big play and chunk yardage of 30 plays or more have definitely come down about half the touchdown pass half the completions 
over 30 yards and I think only three touchdown passes. Whereas you look at the Rams, we know what they want to do. It's getting the ball to Todd Gurley, especially catching it out of the backfield against an Atlanta linebacking core that doesn't cover opposing running backs in space. My question here is with the Rams' defense. I think this is a unit that can actually be beaten a little bit by what the Falcons want to do. If they're able to run the football, they haven't been able to do such over the last two weeks, only compiling 127 yards on the ground. If this number gets to seven, uh, I think Atlanta offers a little bit of value. However, my angle would be attacking this total, going under 24 in the first half, knowing these two teams may come out and feel each other out a little bit more than the number indicates. Georgia, Alabama. We're going to be down in in Atlanta for this game. Evidently, Donald Trump is going to be there to add a little bit more sizzle to what already should be a, an exciting night in the South for sure. I came out immediately as soon as this line I saw open at four and a half. I took Georgia. I know I was texting with you yesterday. I also love the under in this game, and the under has come down a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm all, so I'm all in on Georgia. I think Georgia's going to win this game outright. Uh, that, that's my prediction. I understand there are people out there. I understand the difficulty, believe me, betting against Nick Saban. But I love Georgia plus 3.5. I love them plus 4.5. And, and I, even more than that, love the under. I think it's going to be a really low-scoring, ugly game. What do you see in this one? You know what? Uh, I would echo those same sentiments. When you look at this number here, it opened as high as 5.5 in some spots. I don't really believe that factored any home field advantage into the equation uh, favoring Georgia. We know 75 miles from Athens is where this game will be played. You're going to have probably, what, Clay, a 65-35 Georgia split, maybe even higher than that? Yeah, and that's not an indictment of Alabama fans. That's just a reflection of how rare this game has been for Georgia. I think Alabama fans in general have had so many opportunities to go watch the Tide play for the championship in the last seven, eight years under Nick Saban that as a result, there's not as much pent-up demand for people to pay $2,500 to go watch this title game. And so, I, like last year, for instance, we were down in Tampa – and that stadium was majority Clemson fans. It's not because Clemson fans are you know, bigger fans than Alabama fans. It's because they haven't been in that situation anywhere near as many times. So, yeah, I think it'll probably be at least 60-40 uh, Georgia fans. So I think Georgia's going to have a substantial home field advantage uh, inside the Georgia Dome. And when you work with that, with the number of five and a half, I think you needed to make a one, one and a half point adjustment. So not surprising the least that the market has come down moving in Georgia's direction right now. Uh, of course, when you look at the Crimson Tide, two major injuries, Anthony Jennings, a talented linebacker, going to be out having surgery uh, on the lower body after the late injury suffered against Clemson. Uh, and from what I'm led to believe, Lester Cotton, the offensive lineman for Bama, will not be available either. Uh, so you're talking about key contributors there. The one concern I do have in regards to Georgia and the way they want to move the ball, pro-style offenses have not fared all that well against Nick Saban-led defenses in the past. Uh, we look at Saban's track record, 11-0 against his assistants in the past, albeit that straight up, not against the number. Uh, but when you talk about the total, I actually made this number closer to 40. So I was shocked as anybody when this number opened as high as 47.5 in the desert. You, you mentioned uh, that this number has come down. We're seeing 44.5 out there, even some 45s. Wouldn't be shocked if it started to tick down further. It really does feel like the first team to 21 is going to win this football game. And which of these two proud SEC programs can avoid the costly mistake? I think a punt in this contest is as good as anything else to force these teams to drive the length of the field. I just don't see a ton of big plays. Uh, so I'm with you there. I think the dog and under have an awful lot of merit from a wagering How standpoint. How will the handle for a national title game between Georgia and Alabama compare to a handle in terms of the wagers that are made in Vegas for a wild card weekend game? 
Well, college football has definitely grown in popularity as we've seen a little bit of the decline in the NFL and some of the marquee matchups. You've seen college start to bridge that gap by sheer volume of games on any given weekend. In this type of scenario, when we look at the marquee games, probably Atlanta and the Rams on Saturday night drawing the most betting handle. Uh, I think you'll probably see about one and a quarter times the amount of money bet on that game uh, that you'll see coming in on the national championship. The problem that you run into here is you don't have the laundry list of prop bets available for college football just because the players aren't household names. The numbers aren't up on the board as long as what we see for something like the Super Bowl. Uh, and when you look at some of these programs, there is a very real regional bias here. So if you had a USC and maybe in the Matt Line at Reggie Bush days, betting handle would be through the roof. Georgia and Alabama out here in Las Vegas, yes, it's going to attract interest. It's going to be important for the house, but not quite what you'd see if you had some of the proud programs from other regions of the country competing for it. Do you get a lot of guys, I know you hate parlays. I love parlays because I just think it's fun to put down a little bit of money and potentially win a lot. Do you get a lot of guys who bet all four wildcard weekend games as one parlay handle? That has to be pretty common on a wildcard weekend, right? It definitely. You're going to see folks looking to try and take full advantage, and they'll tie that national championship game into the mix as well, figuring that, all right, if things go well on Saturday and Sunday, we only have one, maybe two legs if you're using the total as well to try and cash. And that's one of the big things that sportsbooks will be rooting against this weekend in the NFL. When you have four favorites all in that six-and-a-half to nine range, they're going to love nothing more than one of those underdogs winning outright because what that'll do is it'll eliminate any money line parlay liabilities that's out there, any teaser liability. So when you look at some of these decisions where none of the bet splits and the pros are going to be better than 60-40, just root for one of those underdogs to get there outright, and books will be in pretty good standing this weekend, especially if all these games don't go flying over the top. Good stuff as always, my man. Uh, we, man, I almost died there trying to talk. We'll talk to you next week. Always a pleasure, Clay. Enjoy the games this weekend. That's Todd Furman, the biggest fan of country music and, uh, and gambling who happens to be Jewish and live in Las Vegas. Anywhere, I got to tell you, when I got in that guy's car the first time we ever met, the last thing I expected to hear was Blake Shelton. And he just absolutely loves everything about country music. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts